each of these molecules have a different imprint and way of behaving. Yet, what we can do is help set the stage for healing. The whole idea in psychedelic assisted therapy is that we just create the conditions for healing and you have the inner healing wisdom. And I know people that are listening that are naturopathic doctors or you know Chinese medicine specialists, we're talking about the same thing here. If I have a patient that has a broken bone, I can set the bone, I can clean the wound, we can get everything in the right space, but the body itself does the healing when the conditions for healing are created. Welcome to the Anthropology Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Walker. As a former naturopathic doctor and anthropologist, I align the intersection of personal performance, purpose, and innovative thinking in badass women working to change the world as entrepreneurs and go-getters. Anthropology is the study and science of what makes an entrepreneur think, feel, and perform in a path compelled by a vision for helping others, solving problems, while building a life on your own terms. Together, we are exploring the health, mindset, and strategies that distinguish the world's best entrepreneurs. This is the Anthropology Podcast. Welcome to episode 238 of the Anthropology Podcast. I am Dr. Megan Walker, and I just have to say, in the last few weeks, we have been, I've been batch recording uh, podcasts. I've been doing a bunch of them all at once because I want to take a recording. I want to take a recording break in October, November while I've got some big things going on. This is part of how I achieve balance on the backside of my life. And in the last week, the number of episodes that we have recorded with powerful women talking about influential ways of thinking to transform your life or your relationships or past trauma has really, it's actually struck me the way they have all been clustered together. And not a single one of these episodes has gone by where I haven't actually started to feel or tap into or acknowledge um, areas where I, I need to look at my own healing and my own journey. Um, and also areas where I'm really excited to start to explore. They're also outside the box. We have some episodes coming up where we're talking about uh, we're talking about sex and sex toys and the and the balance between um, your power and your sexuality. We are going to be talking about um, not just trauma, but we're going to be talking about betrayal and how that's different and and what that looks like and and why as as powerful individuals creating amazing things in the world, it's so important for us to acknowledge these pieces. And today we're going to be talking about an avenue of healing and exploring a, a tool and mechanism for healing that for a very long time was, was suppressed because of societal messaging. We're going to be talking about psychedelic assisted healing. And this is an arena that is having an opportunity uh, to be flooded with with funding and research, and for a long time we've a, we've a long history as humans of being connected to various forms of plant medicine. Um, various indigenous groups have made the use of psychedelics an important part of of ceremonial heal, healing and and evolution of the individuals. Uh, in their communities. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to actually start to break down some of the science, some of the legal avenues that people have to be able to explore, leverage, and utilize psychedelics to accentuate and expedite their healing. 
And I'm really excited to bring on a friend and colleague. Her name is Angela Ward. And Angela started her career as a nurse. She is still a nurse. And what she does in her work uh, with psychedelics is she helps move people through a healing journey. She helps facilitate the coming together of the of the medical side and the spiritual side and uh, the psychotropic side of of psychedelics as a healing. And the reason that I asked her to come in is you. This might be an arena where you're like, I I don't have any interest in doing this. I've never heard of this. I still thought we had a war on drugs taking place. I wanted to bring this conversation to the table because I simply want to invite you to think outside the box of how it has always been done. The thing about trauma is that any one of us at any moment are susceptible to it. In fact, many of you have probably experienced it. In fact, many of you are probably stalled in your evolution, in your life, and in in living to your highest potential because of it. And I simply want to introduce an idea, a new avenue, an outside-the-box thinking around how to heal and how to transform. And I can't think of anyone better to facilitate that conversation. I'm super excited to introduce you to Angela Ward. Angela Ward, welcome to the Anthropology Podcast. Hi, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. It is my absolute pleasure to have you. You know, one of the things I've been really enjoying over the last few weeks is we've been exploring topics and ideas on the podcast that I think are really relatively new to our audience. Some some big ideas that I think are quite transformational. And so you're going to fit so beautifully into those conversations. Angela, before we start to get into this idea of psychedelics and how those can help to transform our healing, I'm wondering if you can share with my audience a little bit more about your story, why this is an arena that you have become so passionate about in your career and how you got here. Because this is not something that's covered in, in typical nursing or medical school. This is entirely new. You have to be an early adopter, avant-garde, think outside the box. And I'm super interested in knowing how you got here. Yeah, thank you for asking that question. And it is indeed a bit of a long story. Uh, Mostly the important part is what helped me understand that psychedelics were really powerful for healing is the birth and death of my daughter, Sophia. My daughter was born with hypoplastic left heart syndrome, and she passed away when she was six months old following her second open heart surgery. Through that process, which was really tragic, it uh, I really struggled with grief and ended up being diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. I did a bunch of work in order to heal this and had an interest in psychedelic-assisted therapy Um, I had an experience that I found really, uh, really healing for me in that way, working with a particular medicine. And I decided I wanted to become a nurse that could bring this medicine forward for healing. Now, in the training program that I did, I was in the Certificate in Psychedelic Assisted Therapy and Research, which is the only accredited program in the United States at the California Institute. And through that process, I was introduced to the working with ketamine. I had no interest in working with ketamine because I wanted to work with the classical psychedelics, LSD or psilocybin or MDMA. But just prior to my experiential training with ketamine, I had a really bad outcome at the hospital where, where I was working as a labor and delivery nurse that 
re-exacerbated my PTSD. And I did a bunch of work to kind of process it and heal it. And before I went to this training, I was doing really quite well, actually. I was feeling really good. Uh, but there was still this lingering piece. And then after my first experiential session working with ketamine at psychedelic doses, I was blown away by how much better I felt the next day. It was like, oh, I like it blew away the rest of the cobwebs around that. And I was amazed that there is a pathway of working with some legal psychedelic assisted work. And that's what brought me here. I'm really committed to helping bring this work forward in a safe, ethical, legal way for us to heal. So what, thank you for sharing that, um, your, your story in particular. And can you, can you help us understand how psychedelics are influencing this healing piece? I think for a lot of people, there's this sense that drugs of any, any sort alcohol or otherwise it's a it's a way for us to numb and distance ourselves from pain and i think what you're describing is this integration that happens with respect to grief or these experiences uh in our life and i'm can you just shed some light in terms of how that works i'd be happy to take a stab at it because i think this is still an arena that we're exploring about how this works and why it seems so impactful for people there is some neurochemistry that maybe is happening. There's um, also this therapeutic relationship that can develop with a provider providing psychedelic assisted therapy. So when we talk about the way that the brain works, and this is still very much being explored, we are seeing with psychedelic assisted therapy, a quieting of the default mode network and the opportunity to create new connections and new insights while people are in an expanded state of consciousness. When people are struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder or depression or anxiety or any number of these things, what happens is we get really rigid in our thinking uh, because what fires together wires together, right? People just kind of get looped into this way of thinking about things. And when they work with a psychedelic medicine held in a safe container, so they're able to explore these things, people are able to make new connections or have new understandings of maybe the root causes of their distress, or they're able to see things from a different angle. The other piece that I think is super important is many people that are struggling with trauma or grief, these injuries happened in relationship many times. Someone who's experienced childhood trauma, let's say, their trauma came from a relationship that was broken. And the work that we can do with psychedelic assisted therapy, because that's the key part, it's an assisted therapy. It's not just the medicine itself. It's building this interpersonal relationship with someone that you can redevelop trust, you can do some reparenting with, you can uh, learn how to be in dis un uncomfortable places together and navigate that. So I think those are two ways that I find quite interesting. The third way that is the most interesting for me though, uh, is this somatic piece. There's something about 
psychedelics that absolutely do not numb us. They really, they don't. They actually seem to bring us more aware of what's actually happening in the here and now present moment. And a lot of times in our, in our sober minded state, we can suppress how our bodies are feeling, or we can suppress the ways that we're holding. But in a psychedelic state, we can tap into the somatic place where things might need an unwinding or a movement. You know, there's emotions that come up because they're being locked down and psychedelics allow them to blossom. So that's another beautiful uh, opportunity to work with this as well. How do we figure this out? Like, how did we go from psychedelics support this like crazy trip that happens in the sixties and I'm massively generalizing and totally picturing Forrest Gump in my head while I'm asking this question. But like, how did we go from that is society's interpretation of what psychedelics are all about to, Oh my gosh, like there is this massive healing piece and it's not just like one random person had this profound experience We're we're seeing enough literature starting to emerge. We're seeing enough compelling conversations starting to emerge where we're like, this is actually a really legitimate, exciting pathway for us to be able to heal or sorry, heal people's, um, you know, deeply held traumas. Like what was, what was the tipping point on this? Wow. Well, let's be really clear that the response (laughs) of the Nixon administration in the United States, particularly was a manufactured response to psychedelic assisted therapy. There was there, first of all, there is, we're talking about the war on drugs. Is that what the we're talking war about? The war on drugs. The war on drugs. Boo. Like, it's, who won? I, I don't know. It's just such a mess. It's such a mess. Um, the war on drugs was really an excuse to oppress people, in my opinion. Um, it wasn't about health and safety and taking care of people at all. It's important to remember that psychedelic states and expanded states of consciousness, maybe not even using psychedelics, but trance and things like that are part of our ancestral heritage, right? It's a native practice in many parts of the world. Um, So this psychedelic states have been part of us since we've been human. However, there was such a revolution happening in the sixties, gay rights, women's rights, black power, like all of these things were really destabilizing the status quo. But there was a lot of research happening prior to that with psychedelics, LSD in particular. There was a bunch of work being done with LSD assisted therapy. There were studies being done throughout the country around uh, using psychedelics for alcoholism treatment, for um, creativity. There was all kinds of stuff. Now, unfortunately, the incidents with Timothy Leary, basically telling everyone to get high and drop out, really exacerbated the Nixon administration's response. And it was crafted really to get people to be afraid that psychedelics meant that you were going to go crazy and, and jump out a window. And I would suggest that these states not held with intention and with people that understand how to support you through that can be a risky place to be. But what happened was the first study that started, I think in the mid nineties was with Rick Strassman at the university of New Mexico studying NNDMT, which is the active molecule found 
in ayahuasca brew, and he was studying it in a hospital in a clinical setting. He came to this study of DMT because it's related molecularly to melatonin. So the study was super basic. It was just assessing blood pressure, heart rate, etc. But what they discovered in this study is everybody that had an administration of this drug had a mystical experience to some degree, basically had very similar reports of what happened for them. It's a fantastic film if you want to check it out. It's called DMT, the spirit molecule, and we'll kind of walk you through that. But that was what opened the door into the more current research. Uh, since then, there's research using MDMA, which is not a classical psychedelic, but an empathogen, but using MDMA for the treatment of PTSD. That's looking very close to being legalized here in the States. Uh, there's a lot of work that's being done with psilocybin for end-of-life care, depression, all, all sorts of things. Uh, and and the, the studies continue to expand uh, with some really positive results. What are you most excited about right now? Oh, gosh. I'm actually really excited about the decriminalized movement here in the United States. And I believe Canada is decriminalized across the whole country now, right? In a number of, yeah, in a number of facets. It's really exciting. Um, it's, it's caution. It's time for caution because I do think people might get a little, could get a little wild with it. But we have so much more knowledge and insight now. And it's exciting to me that not only are we able to bring these tools for healing in a number of different facets. So by the fact that it's decriminalized, it's allowing people to work with these in different ways, meaning it's not just the purview of the medical establishment, which definitely in the United States is crumbling before our very eyes. So I don't think psychedelic, I don't think the medical model of psychedelic care is a great one. I think the psychedelic model of medical care would make more sense. But it's also really interesting to see how people might want to work with a therapist here or might want to work with someone like myself who's a nurse coach or might want to work with someone who's a body worker. There are many aspects to healing or maybe someone wants to work with it in a more traditional uh, ceremonial setting. So I like, I think you know, we, yeah. Oh, and I, you know, I'm just observing like everything you're talking about is not, let's go have a wild Friday night. It mm -hmm. is very much, let's actually respect the attributes of the, of the medicine and its capacity to facilitate healing. And I think, I think that's one of the things that when we have these conversations, and I don't mean when we have these conversations. I mean when when people who are are used to using, um, I'm going to say more complex plants because plants are way more complicated than a drug where we're pulling out an individual constituent. I think one of the things we've all come to understand is we have this huge respect for what this this plant and this plant medicine actually has the capacity to do. It is really totally different than this, you know, targeted experience that we do on the pharmacology side it is is if you're going to i would suspect because i haven't worked with it in this context like you have but if you're if they're going to work towards having healing you really need to do it in partnership with someone who's trained and knows how to how to respect and harness the power of the plant as opposed to i'm going to go experiment like i said on a on a Friday night, like, can you just speak a little bit to that experience? Like, what is it like to work with you? How does it 
differ because this is this is new for a lot of people and we're so trained in that medical model i take my 14 milligrams of this and i get this expected uh, response and when we're talking about plants and plant medicine we're talking about we're talking about just something that is much more complex within the within the body so what does it look like to work with you that's a, such a great question and, and i love that you're saying plant medicine and I'm going to just like turn that on its head and say that I'm working with ketamine because it's right. the only legal psychedelic in the United States that I can work with as a nurse. So, which is not a plant, it's, it's absolutely a molecule, but what working, but the idea is the same, right? Each of these molecules have a different imprint and way of behaving yet. What we can do is help set the stage for healing. The whole idea in psychedelic assisted therapy is that we just create the conditions for healing and you have the inner healing wisdom. And I know people that are listening that are naturopathic doctors or, you know, Chinese medicine specialists, we're talking about the same thing here. Right. If I have a patient that has a broken bone, I can set the bone, I can clean the wound, we can get everything in the right space, but the body itself does the healing when the conditions for healing are created. And so can the mind, heart and spirit when held in the right way. So when I work with my clients with ketamine assisted therapy specifically, we will do some preparatory work. And of course, a part of it is a health assessment as a nurse. That's my role is to look at what's going on for you physically, but then also the psycho, spiritual, emotional pieces your relationship to your community, the ways that you care for yourself and that you care for others. And oftentimes when we move into the ketamine state, I work with it in a ceremonial fashion, much more like if I was working with psilocybin or things like that. And we come in with an intention. And when the ketamine is working, it softens that default mode network. It allows for novel connection like we discussed earlier. And in that more softened mental state, we may look at print, putting in a new thought pattern, like someone who feels anxious all the time, they're able to actually have an embodied experience of what it feels like to feel peace. So then they might say that to themselves, this is, this is peace, this is how peace feels. So that somehow they can, they have like a, a pinpoint in the map now that they can reorient to later. So then the next step is of course to, after the experience, you know, after the ecstasy, the laundry, we have to actually implement the experience to make change happen every day. And what does that look like? Do they continue to work with you? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do nurse assisted coaching basically, or nurse coaching with ketamine. They'll work with me prior to ketamine. We'll do ketamine generally three times in the course of our work together. So I work with lozenges and intramuscular injections of ketamine. Now, to be clear, I'm not a prescribing provider. So I work with a clinic where the medical provider right. um, clears them. Uh, but I bring them in with the intention. And then in the days following, because we're working on coaching, we have goals and we have check-ins and things like that. So they're usually in a state where they're less depressed because ketamine is a really powerful antidepressant. And they feel less stuck so they can start putting into action the things that they know actually nourish them right. and help them feel more connected to themselves. Can we just talk about the history of ketamine in particular? Like how did this come to be, I'm going to say discussed? 
discovered as a tool in this capacity? Oh, gosh, ketamine is such an interesting medicine. It is on the World Health Organization's list of most essential drugs for all countries to have because it is used primarily as an anesthesia drug. And it does have a bit of a bad rap in the world because think people will describe it as a horse tranquilizer or a party drug. And it has been used in a number of ways. So it is used for children in surgery. It's used, it was used in Vietnam on the battlefield instead of morphine for pain management because ketamine is a powerful pain mediator, but it also does not suppress the breathing drive or the gag reflex like, like morphine can. Um, but what they've discovered over the years was people that had ketamine, when they came out of surgery, they were less depressed. They were feeling better. Now the depressive relief does not last forever. And that's why it's really important to build in the steps that help people feel better. But it's used in the United States off label for treatment resistant depression and for an increasing number of applications. Um, I heard that Canada is just now able to use ketamine outside of a surgical center. So in, in non-medical settings, more in a clinic setting, like I work with it, which is really exciting for a lot of practitioners, I think, in your country. Mm -hmm. um, the nice thing about it, besides it being legal, it has an incredibly safe profile. It's a lot of, uh, there are very few contraindications, and it's the only psychedelic that you can take while you're on other mood stabilizing medicine, like you're on an SSRI, for example, the it's a, also a lovely tool for people that are working to come off antidepressants. They can use ketamine because it works on a different neurotransmitter system than your serotonin system. And so it will help bridge the gap as people are wanting to step finally off some of those, if that's appropriate for them. Um, it's, it's pretty lovely stuff, kind of under underused, utilized. Yeah, well, I mean, this is so exciting because when we look at the data and statistics and landscape, we we know that you know upwards of, of twenty five to thirty percent of the population is on some type of antidepressant, some type of medication to distance themselves from the emotions. And what's so exciting about I think this whole body of work is this is an opportunity for people to help integrate and drive meaning and find new pathways, like find new ways of experiencing life without having these pharmaceutically dependent existences, if they can get to that, mm -hmm. uh, get to that place. Can you, Angela, just like give us an overview of some of the psychedelics that are being used and what's different about all of them? Like you, you talked about LSD, you talked about psilocybin. Can you just, can you give us some context on some of the other ones? I will do my best. <laughs> um, the one that I'm most interested in and excited by is psilocybin. It's all over the place. It's a, I think, a molecule that humans have had a relationship with probably the longest. Uh, so I think one of our greatest allies that we've been connected to for a very long time. I, I can't even tell you the studies that are going on with it right now. There are just so many of them being used in different therapeutic approaches. Uh, it's one of the medicines that people are also very interested in microdosing with. There is some evidence that this microdosing psilocybin is supportive for mood and anxiety, but it's mostly anecdotal. There's also some idea about it being a placebo effect, but that, that medicine particularly is an ally and a, a pretty 
lovely medicine that can be kind of intense. It does have some pretty challenging side effects, just physically nausea, uh, body discomfort, and they it can be kind of wild. So it can be a really lovely, beautiful earth connecting experience, or it can be pretty intense for people. So that's one for sure. I encourage people to find a guide or support. Another one I'm super excited about is MDMA, which is not, again, a classical psychedelic. It works in a different way, but what it does, it quiets the amygdala. It quiets down blood flow to the amygdala and increases blood flow to the frontal cortex. It also releases oxytocin and prolactin hormone. So when people are working with this medicine, they tend to feel... um, a lot more loving and gentle and connected, which is really great when people have, when they, when they need to approach some trauma, most people that have a traumatized brain, their amygdala is on fire all the time. Everything is scary. And when it quiets that down, people can take some of that traumatic memory and move it into long-term storage. So it doesn't have such an impactful charge. That one is, like I said, close to being legalized in the United States, and I'm really excited to see how that might help people. Um, what other ones? Of course, ayahuasca is being studied. That is such a powerful medicine uh, with a long indigenous use. I know a lot of people come to that one, the great, the, the mother. Uh, and. I'm trying to think of what I know of studies being done with that one. I'm just, you know, when, when this Renaissance started and when I first got involved, even not that long ago, there were just, it was such a small community and now it's just like blooming throughout the world. And it's just like, there's so much happening. Uh, it's hard to keep up. But well, and this is, I mean, this is why I wanted to have this conversation with you is because, you know, I think we've, you know, similar to how we've experienced our pain, I, I think our solutions for, for managing trauma have always been like, you can be on an antidepressant or you can go to therapy or you can do both or, you know, good luck, good luck to you. And this is part of the human experience. And what I love is there's this really rich history of us engaging with different substances to facilitate these, uh, these healing experiences. And finally, we're kind of going, wait a second, we should actually explore this, we should start to, you know, deploy our scientific method to understanding and get slightly more myopic around appreciating why some of these avenues uh, work. And I think we're only going to see, you know, really incredible studies and conversations continue to emerge um, over the next several years. You said a key thing here when you were talking about this experience, and I want to underscore this for everybody. And that is, you know, working with someone who is trained to be able to facilitate this healing is really imperative. And, and I, as a practitioner, have seen so many people get excited about, you know, a substance or an idea or a therapeutic. And they're like, I am I'm going for it. And it doesn't matter whether we're talking about, you know, a psychedelic or I'm talking about an autoimmune patient who hears about this like silver bullet solution and they, they jump right in and decide to do it. The one thing I just want to acknowledge about healing, and I know you know this, is that the sequence matters. And so where you are at in your own healing journey, where you are at in your PTSD, where you are at in your own health uh, platform and baseline All of these things are going to inform your success as you lean into some of these, uh, some of these options. And so, you know, my, my line of questioning on this is, is twofold, Angela. One, 
how does someone know that they are a really good uh, fit for this? What are some of the characteristics of readiness? And then two, uh, where I want to go after this is you do some really incredible work to actually train practitioners because practitioners fall victim to the same thing. They hear about some cool thing. They're like, I want to put this in place and I'm going to refer people. And so I, I want this question to kind of evolve from, and I'll stop hitting my mic. I'm just so excited <laughs> from like, where do people need to be in their own healing journey for them to even, you know, be at a place of readiness to explore these things. And then let's start to talk about that practitioner side. Mm. Or where do they not need to be? Is sometimes <laughs> an easier, like what are, yeah. I would always have this right where I'm like, okay, this is how I help people. And they're like, you, you could clearly see when people weren't ready, when we had to, we had to do some work first. I think one of the, one of the, the places of caution is psychedelic evangelicism. So what I see sometimes is people read Michael Pollan's book, how to change your mind or his new one that just came out or, and they, and they find me and they're like, I read Pollan's book and I want to have that experience. Or they have, they've had an experience. Maybe they've gone to an ayahuasca retreat or they've found a way to these medicines and it was a really impactful experience for them. And they, and they're like, I'm, I'm going to help all my friends do this. And uh, I get it. I get it. Cause it can be really exciting, <clears throat> but it's like, why, why are you doing this? If you want to just do it to have a great time, bless you and go for it and make sure that you know what you're doing, what substances you have and be safe. Can I just speak back a little bit though, to you talking about you know, this therapy idea or medicine, I think one of the biggest problems is our society has become so individualistic in a way that we even make the patient, the individual, like you're broken. And right. there's the only ways that you're going to get fixed is if you do it yourself. And this is why I think the a guided experience and being in community. You speak about this all the time about the community healing aspect is really, really where change is going to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't just say that you're the fucked up. Sorry. I don't know if you can say that. No, you can say whatever you want. Sister. <laughs> you're the broken one and it's your fault. And if only you managed your mind better, you wouldn't be in this predicament when the reality is society is a challenging place to be and we're so disconnected from one another. And I think one of the hallmarks of a psychedelic experience can be that it connects us to a bigger fabric of life. It connects us back to the plants. It connects us back to our place and relationship with a sense of peace. So where does someone need to be in order to do this work that wants to do psychedelic assisted therapy. For me, my ideal client is someone that has a, a practice of some kind of self inquiry of being able to look a little bit at their shadow to be willing to try things and be curious about it. They can still be depressed and sad and struggling or whatever, but enough to be like, okay, I'm going to really take the time to try things on for a while. So let's say someone I'm working with, I really would might encourage them to build on a meditation practice if we determine that's what's right for them. They can't just be like one day they sit and they sit one time and it's hard and they're like, it doesn't work for me. No, it's like, let's <laughs> put the application in. 
let's actually practice drinking all your water for a week, that kind of thing, you know, and see how it goes and really get a fair assessment. So those, those people are much more ideal than people that are seeking an experience. Right. Right. Go to Disneyland if you want to seek an experience. <laughs> Go to Disneyland. <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah. And then as far as practitioners go, first of all, I want to honor that practitioners from all stripes are oftentimes called to this work because we have a deep heart for healing. And if you don't have a heart for healing, please don't be in this profession. I mean, if you don't have heart for caring for others and helping them grow and heal, then work at Costco, work at Disneyland, whatever. Uh, but <laughs> We're tap happy into, all the time. Uh, yeah. But tap into like, this is, what was your passion and calling for this? And usually it's the journey of the wounded healer. Many of us came into this profession because we wanted to heal ourselves more deeply. So yes, a practitioner, I think does need to be doing their own work on some level. If they're in a position to receive psychedelic assisted therapy, that's great. But it could also be being in a deep coaching practice or therapy or Hakomi or something that allows that um, internal balance. A practitioner really needs a solid internal balance. Um, and a practitioner also requires community as far as being able to workshop ideas to get understanding in relationship with other practitioners that are doing similar work. Um, yeah, I think that's, those are two good places to begin. Well, I love that. And one of the things we're going to make sure that we have everyone, everyone has access to in our show notes is if you are a practitioner and you are interested in learning more about how you can facilitate this type of healing, you've got some amazing programs that you, um, that you work with in terms of uh, training practitioners to be able to deliver this. Yeah, I have been in a number of trainings myself. I'm currently in, in another intensive year long program of training and I've continuing education is so important for me. I have upcoming a psychedelic mastermind group. I'm calling it psychedelic doulas because I'm oh, a birth I worker. <laughs> I'm a birth worker by training. And I think that our skill set of being with people as they go through powerful transformational experiences, people who are birth workers, death workers, people who can hold space are excellent candidates for this type of work. So the psychedelic doula work will distill down what I've been learning. And I also want to make it a real shared experience so that the people that are in here also have the opportunity to like help steer the ship. So I want to, I want to call together this beautiful flock of birds where I know I can suggest the places we might stop along this journey of learning, but kind of following in response to what is being called for. So if people need more academic focus, do we need to look at all the studies? Do we need to work a bit more on personal self-care practices? Do we need to understand more of the traditional uses? Do we need to understand some of the implications around legality or how, you know, how might we bring these into the greater society? How might they influence our practices? So yeah, I'm really excited to do this. I do this with a few people individually, but I'd like to really facilitate a group of this 
mastermind. I, I think it's amazing. Like the healing that will happen just for those practitioners, independent of their capacity to um, move that work forward and pay it forward in terms of helping people, I think is amazing. And like I said, we'll have all that information um, in our show notes. So practitioners who are interested can access that piece. I feel like Angela, this is a beautiful place to transition the nature of our interview. So I have these questions, I call them my KPIs. So just like we have key performance indicators in our life, we have them. I mean, in our business, we have them in how we live our life as well. So here's my first question for you. Is there a book or an idea or a TED talk or a person or something that has come into your purview over the course of the last year that has really profoundly shifted the direction of your thinking? So many people. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, this is a I'd four say, hour episode. <laughs> the one that's popping out to me right now is this incredible book called The Ethics of Caring by Kylia Taylor. And some of you may know that. If you don't know it, please read it. Kind of care providing. I'm just pulling it off my bookshelf so I can tell you more about it. It's the ethics of caring, finding right relationship with clients for practicing professionals, students, teachers, and mentors. And for any practitioner that wants to support their clients that are maybe working with psychedelics at home or, you know, really anything, this ethical orientation is so important to me when we bring forward such a potent medicine into the world that we have to be in right relationship to do this. So I'd say that, yeah, the ethics of caring by Kylia Taylor is a gold star on my list. Amazing. Do you have a favorite health hack or something that you do for your health every single day with unwavering persistence? Oh gosh. I go put my hands in my garden every single day. I don't know if it's a hack necessarily, but it helps me stay connected to the earth. It helps me stay connected to the cycle of the seasons. It helps me feel supported. And it also gives me an opportunity to tap into beauty and see what's emerging around me and constant beautiful change. That sounds like a hack to me for it's sure. Go outside. <laughs> yeah, you can go outside and get it dirty. <laughs> How would you define your purpose? Mm, my purpose is as a soul midwife. That's how I really feel like my business name is guardian at the gateway. And I feel really honored to have worked professionally in birth, in death and in psychedelic therapy with people as they are going through this gate of transformation. I cannot walk that for them, but I can be a, an ally and a supporter. And it just gives me goosebumps to think about, being with people when they awaken to their own inner wisdom and healing, it's such an honor to see it. And yeah, makes me just put tears to my eyes, actually. <laughs> uh, you can feel it when people are working in alignment with their purpose and you can <laughs> feel you can feel it through the microphone. Last question for you, Angela. Entrepreneurship, are we born this way or do we learn to become entrepreneurs? <laughs> both. I'd say both. Because I think as youngsters, we're very creative and entrepreneurs are creative. Uh, and they, in order for me to tap into my entrepreneurial spirit, I need to bring play with me, which is what I think something we really have as youngsters. And absolutely, it's something that we can hone. I was uh, trained traditionally as a nurse and I learned nothing in nursing school about entrepreneurial perspectives of running a business or anything like that. So yeah, 
absolutely we can learn. Amazing. Angela Ward, always such a pleasure. We impact so many awesome things. Where can we send people to learn more about the work you're up to in the world? Well, if they would like to apply for the psychedelic doula program, they can just text GG for guardian at the gateway, GG apply. And that will get us connected to 44222. That would be fantastic. Uh, the next place I think I might want to send you would be to my YouTube channel. I do a weekly show there called Midweek with Meaning, and it's on just topics that are coming up for me and my clients. There's a bunch of contact information there. Plus, you can watch binge me blabbing on about different things, and it might Love be it. really exciting for you. And that is if you search for Guardian at the Gateway. Guardian at the Galaxy will start to come up first, but then go to look for Gateway <laughs> and you'll find me there. We will hook everyone up. Angela, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. So good to talk to you, Megan. <laughs> My word, if you want to call it that, my word for 2021, gosh, I'm losing track of years, um, was disruption. And I, I've talked about this before. For me, this idea of disruption really has a positive uh, lens, but we're, we're in a time and place where the way we have always done it has been dismantled in front of us. And while some people talk about going back to normal, I'm really excited about what the new normal can bring. I think we're all in a place where we are opening our minds to different ideas and different potentials and different ways of doing it. And I think Angela and her work are emblematic of that. It's one of the reasons I've been so excited to work with her over the course of the last year in our clinician mastermind uh, known as the Clinician Code. And Clinician Code really is, is where practitioners at, at the pinnacle of their, of their work and with, you know, grounded clinical experience have the opportunity to start to take their own entrepreneurial journeys and leverage their experience as, as clinicians and their with their passions and their purpose. And as you could hear from Angela, she is like right on point there. I know that as clinicians, we have this unwielding desire to help people and things get in our way. The marketing gets in the way, the managing of our business gets in the way, the understanding of how we're actually going to bring these pieces together into a an entity that enables us to support our families and our purpose and our mission in the world. That's where it all starts to fall apart. We literally say over and over again, I hear people say to me, I just, I just want to help people. And I hear you loud and clear on that piece. You know, for me, I've recognized a long time ago that one of my passions and my purpose is to help support practitioners so they can increase their their impact on the world. And that is why we created, and by we, I mean, I created, and then my team helped me bring it to fruition, an event called Impact Lives. Impact Lives is a live virtual event for practitioners from around the world. This is our fourth year running this event. It's going to be taking place, I was going to say taking place in Toronto. It'll be live from Toronto, taking place from your, uh, from your living room. And this year, what we're going to be tackling over the course of this four-day virtual event is marketing. Not just a whole bunch of different things that you can go back and try and still be just as confused as you were before. But actually, I'm going to give you our impact marketing system, the marketing system that we use with every member of our mastermind. We're going to teach you the key elements that you need to have in place. And then we're going to bring in amazing, compelling speakers to talk about different tactics that you can plant into that marketing system. If you are looking for a new avenue forward, if you want to understand how to get your message out to the world in the most 
cutting edge way in the most economically viable way. If you want to reach more people, if you just want to help people, I promise we have made impact lives for you. You can secure your seat by heading over to impactlivesevent.com. And we are going to have a blast of a time virtually in November. As I promised over the next few weeks, we've got some incredible speakers who are coming up. The idea is to challenge your way of thinking, take you outside the box and increase your capacity to have impact in the world through your business and through yourself and through your family. I will be hanging out with you again next week. Until then, have an impactful few days ahead. <laughs>